Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Generation Elect, and welcome to 2020. We have survived another decade and another year to bring you all the latest political news and opinions of the day. Yes, we are 26 days into 2020, as we had midterms and midterm studying this last month, which made it impossible to do a pod, unfortunately. But we are back today, talking about the first contest in the Democratic primary, the massive Iowa caucus coming up a week from tomorrow, and also the latest in impeachment. I'm joined, as always, by my insightful co-host, Griffin Roeder. How's the new year been, Griffin? The new year has been pretty nice, I would say. Uh, I can finally drive, driving, uh, and I've luckily not gotten in an accident, and I'm very happy to have my midterms all done. And That's so nice. great. How's yeah. driving? Did you take your test um, yet? Or? Well, I've taken the permit test. The road test won't come until the summer, but uh, no accidents so far, and I can drive awesome. to Crossgates Mall. <laughs> pretty nice. That's good to hear. Nice. Congrats. Also joining us today is another great political analyst, uh, Jack Newell. How's it been going, Jack? It's been going good, Henry. How about you? Good. Your midterms <laughs> all went well? Everything yep. went smoothly? Awesome. Glad to get it over and move on. It was kind of a stressful week. But uh, yeah. yeah, so let's get to it. But um, first, before you do anything, listeners, uh, please rate and review our podcast on iTunes. You know, give it the stars, give it a review if you really like us. Or if you really hate us, it helps people find us. It would be really good if you could. But let's get to the news of the day and the news of the week. We start with Iowa. Um, For 12 months, we've seen candidates enter and exit the race. We've seen debates and candidates surging and failing. It's been a crazy primary, but but we haven't even had a single vote cast yet. But in one week, the first state, Iowa, will decide who they want to nominate to face Donald Trump. Griffin, tell voters what to expect the night of Monday, February 3rd, the Iowa caucuses. Monday, February 3rd, the night of the Iowa caucuses. I expect there to be a very, very competitive race, uh, especially between Biden, Bernie, and Buttigieg, the three candidates who are all pulling above 15%. Uh, Elizabeth Warren will also get a fair share of votes. And in fact, Amy Klobuchar could get a sizable portion of the vote, but it's going to be a very long night. A night of very little sleep for myself and yeah. a very exciting night. I mean, this is what we've been waiting for for a year. Um, Jack, tell us the importance of Iowa in a big primary like this. Why is this the most hyped up race? Right. So, you know, some of our uh, listeners might be thinking, I mean, we're talking about the Iowa State Caucus. I mean, I don't know how many, how much people think Iowa is important as a state. Sometimes forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I think Des Moines. Uh, no offense to our yeah. Iowa viewers out there. All two of But the main yeah. importance of this is that it's the first real uh, competitive primary in the Democratic uh, election cycle, and the front runners in this will be set up in poll position for the actual nomination. Those who don't do well in Iowa will often see their campaigns go into a downturn with uh, many voters thinking they can't win and with donors especially turned off. And without money, you can't win the race. And we often see, you know, the winner of Iowa, no matter who's doing well, whoever wins Iowa is in pole position to win the nomination. Mm-hmm. In 2004, John Kerry was kind of out of the race, kind of like uh, serving an Amy Klobuchar role. And he kind of like kind of got an upset and swept Iowa and won. And he was on the path to the nomination right after that. We've seen time and time again that, the voters of Iowa often decide the nomination process and it's going to be a really interesting race. There are pr- probably right now four or five people who can win it and who can win the nomination. Um, Griffin, so take us through the front runner in your opinion to win Iowa. 
I would say at this point, the front runner to win Iowa would be Bernie Sanders. I saw a recent poll from uh, New York Times that showed Sanders winning about a quarter of the vote in Iowa Mm -hmm. with his nearest competitor being Buttigieg with 18, followed by Biden with 17, Warren and Klobuchar further down the list. So that is a very sizable lead. In fact, one of the most sizable uh, that you've, we've seen in a caucus state, in one of those early states, except for South Carolina, of course. So with an eight-point lead in Iowa, I would I would give Bernie Sanders uh, the sleight of hand here. Yeah, and polls like that, polls like the Des Moines Register, who just endorsed Elizabeth Warren, which is actually a big endorsement that's going under the radar, are really mm-hmm. influential to who the Iowa voters decide. And if Bernie Sanders does pull off Iowa then I think that we can name him as a clear frontrunner. He's slipped under the radar in recent months, but the endorsement of AOC and his surge in polling has really just vaulted him up to this position. Jack, can Bernie win Iowa and win the race, in your opinion? I think that's definitely possible because you look at um, you know some of, some of the controversy that has happened to him over the past few weeks. And we'll get he to that a lot later, yeah. Yeah, but you know, he had that possible feud with uh, Elizabeth Warren and then an argument with uh, Joe Biden on uh, Social Security. But so far, he's really uh, maintained his position, even gaining points, uh, mostly at the expense of his liberal counterpart, uh, Elizabeth Warren, who is steadily dropping in polls, which is, for uh, Bernie Sanders, it's really good for his candidacy. Do you think that's because people are now worried about Warren's electability, or is it because of the AOC endorsement? I don't, know. I don't think it's too much to the AOC endorsement because I think most would have predicted she had gone. I agree, but I don't think it. I don't think it doomed her candidacy as much as some think. I think AOC was generally going to go with Biden. I think what's happening with Warren is more people, more people who would be inclined to go for either Bernie or Warren, are seeing the debates. They're seeing uh, Bernie's passion and his. His, his knowledge of the issues is, is pretty good. And I would say most people are, most prospective Warren voters are going over to Bernie. And I think that's just because of recent debate performances and just a general yeah. more information coming between the two. Griffin, why do you think that Bernie is winning the battle of the progressives right now? Um, I feel that Warren, uh, especially with uh, her controversy with Bernie that we saw in the earlier debate, uh, really hurt Warren and made her seem dishonest, uh, mm-hmm. which benefited Sanders. I also think that many people are starting to realize that Sanders is a much more genuine progressive. Um, exactly. Uh, especially, he's taken some stances that I don't believe Warren has fully backed. I believe Sa- Sanders supports rent control, uh, an idea that Elizabeth Warren doesn't support. Um, he's also very upfront. Uh, I know Jack has mentioned this uh, a few times in the past, but um, when referring to health care, Sanders says there is a potential that taxes will have to go up to pay for my health care plan. Warren, Warren is not really. People can't get an answer. Like, her. Yeah, yeah. We, we just can't get an answer. She's like costs will go down, but she never mentions anything about taxes. That's exactly. exactly. Bernie Sanders has showed why all the Bernie bros who some of them flocked to Warren, but. They all seem to be centering back, circling back to Bernie Sanders, who mm-hmm. they feel like a lot of that is anger due to they feel like they, he was robbed in the 2016 election. I still think Hillary would have won, but the DNC did have a hand in that. And I think it's just a lot of 
Bernie is the most electable candidate. We've seen polls show that Warren, you know, would not beat Trump and probably would lose that election. And it's just overall a perfect storm for Bernie Sanders. Yeah, and I think I, I don't think anyone would argue that Bernie probably has the most passionate base and he has the base that could really help him. They would get out the vote. There would be a large his base is very committed to him and loyal to him really no matter what. And that's, I think, the advantage he has over other candidates such as Biden, Buttigieg, even Warren. But I think, and Griffin, I'm curious to hear your your thoughts on this afterwards. I think there's also a fear factor about his base that if we nominate someone else, his base will not vote for them and his base will ruin the election, kind of like how they ostracized Hillary in 2016. <clears throat> so it's almost like support Bernie. So everybody does. Like, what do you think about that, Griffin? Um, I, I would say you're kind of right. Um, also, I feel like many people just don't like Elizabeth Warren as much. She's much more insider. She has she only got into politics in 2012 when she was elected to the Senate and before that with the CFPB. But like some point, uh, some points that I've seen Bernie bros online poke about Warren, uh, although Sanders himself doesn't mention this in debates. But Warren was actually a registered Republican. Mm-hmm until the mid-90s, and she also voted for uh, Trump's military budget. Yeah, I don't mind someone uh, possessing, possessing a position that they had 30 years ago and changing it now, and, and if they're completely genuine about it, that's yeah, but something the, that but Trump's military budget was That is recent. a problem, exactly, yeah. And um, I think that there are now concerns about Warren. She had her heyday, she had her surge. Was it, must have been... August, October. September. It was like October. late September One or earlier. earlier where she actually was the front runner in many trusted polls, you know, over Joe Biden. Mm. And now I just think that it's all collapsing down. I mean, Jack, if she places fourth in the Iowa caucuses, doesn't get delegates, you look at the upcoming races, she has no chance in South Carolina. New Hampshire is probably not going to go for her. Nevada's mm. iffy. Is that the beginning of the end for Elizabeth Warren if she has a terrible showing Monday night? I, I think it could be because, I mean, it's really all about the donors, I think. And if people aren't believing that their candidate can honestly win, which is what I'm thinking with uh, Elizabeth Warren, she just won't have the staying power. Yeah. Electability has become the biggest conversation topic. So staying with the Sanders and Warren topic and still in Iowa, uh, there was the Iowa debate um, last week. Uh, in Des Moines, appealing to a lot of voters. And one potential feud, one feud between Sanders and Warren really emerged as the main storyline. Griffin, explain to us what this feud is and how it could impact the Uh, Iowa caucus. Yeah, so Warren staffer uh, said that Bernie had once stated that, actually very recently, that a woman could not be elected president, which is, it, it is completely false. Bernie Sanders never said such a thing. In fact, Back really? in the, like even in the eighties, I saw this statement from Bernie in the nineteen eighties, back when he was mayor of Burlington, and he said that there's really more of a divide amongst class than like race or sex. So really, a woman could be elected president. It's just like with all of Wall Street and special interests and the money that they put in, it would be difficult. It's really money is a huge barrier. I disagree that I, I slightly disagree with you. I think that. Um... I don't see a reason for Elizabeth Warren to completely make this up out of the blue. I think there's a good chance that Bernie Sanders said something akin to like, 
oh, well, maybe a man has a higher chance of winning or, mm. oh, Donald Trump would, you know, also, like alienate the woman and like make it all about her gender. And there is a chance that Bernie Sanders outright didn't say to her, oh, a woman can't win. But I don't think what, Warren just conjures so, this up out of the blue. I, I, I agree that it was, you know, probably wasn't totally made up. But I think what's far more likely, given Sanders' extreme support for women candidates over his whole career, I think it's far more likely that when they met, you know, he said something like, you know, if you run, and he might have even encouraged her to run, uh, people are going to, uh, you know, they're going to be negative and your gender might affect some voters. And that's just the state of America we live in. Yeah. I'm highly, but I don't have a problem with that because it's the truth. No, saying he, it that way is probably fine. But saying right, that, like, oh, we shouldn't nominate a woman because they'll lose. That's not fine. I, I doubt that Sanders would say yeah, that. And I, past I don't. I think, I mean, I wouldn't rule anything out. I think that it was more in between, like me and Jack are talking about, you know, just like a comment that could have been stretched to that. But overall, I think it opens up a bigger conversation, which is that Bernie Sanders' um, class divides are the main storyline for him and not racial divides or gender divides. I don't have confidence that he'd pick a woman as as his vice president. He kind of defended his comment wrong. I, I think he's the worst candidate in terms of gender issues. Uh, yeah, I, I would have to disagree with you there because Biden uh, once uh, Biden actually is quoted as saying that he didn't view abortion as a personal choice. So, well, I mean, yeah. he when you I, have I, a long I, career yeah. such as Biden, I mean, it's, yeah, I'm, it's a given that there will be some positions that you will uh, change your mind yeah. on as the years go by. So. so this is a good segue to let's talk about Biden's um, impact in Iowa right now. Oh, um, yes. Yeah, so Biden, uh, he has never been the main storyline in Iowa. Griffin, what are the chances he can sneak a win? Um, I would say there's a, a decent chance that he could sneak out a win in Iowa. In fact, he's been garnering several key endorsements from Iowa. He was endorsed by the Iowa State Attorney General, as well as uh, two out of the three Democratic members of Congress from Iowa. Um, well, one of them was a former staffer of his, but... Uh, he he has several key Iowa endorsements. In fact, I believe earlier today, uh, Chet Culver, who is Iowa's most recent Democratic governor, uh, just endorsed him. And I he was also endorsed by Vilsack, I believe, who is oh wow, That's um, a big endorsement. Obama's agriculture secretary. So yeah, he he is rich in Iowa endorsements, and another candidate is also rich in Iowa endorsements, especially in the Iowa legislature. Oddly enough, Amy Klobuchar. Yeah, yeah. Very we'll get to Klobuchar yeah. later. Uh, but about... I would say Biden yeah. has like a. I'll, I'll give him a. Would you bet on him? I would. Or would you bet on someone else? I will give Sanders probably about a thirty-five percent chance of winning Iowa. <laughs> I'll give Biden about a thirty-two percent chance. Uh, Mayor Pete, I would give like twenty-five. Yeah. Uh, Warren. Seven, Klobuchar one, everyone else zero. But if Biden does, Jack, capitalize on those endorsements and, you know, campaigns well, has a strong showing and wins it. I mean, no matter how many, by how many delegates he wins it. Uh, does that mean race over, you think? Is he it's, the presumptive it's not race no. over as long as Bernie does something? But it, it does it does help him because when you think about it, you know, Biden doesn't have to win Iowa. 
he he just needs to get in, you know, maybe that top three spot because he's going to perform well in most of the other early South primers. Carolina, exactly. especially. Mm-hmm. And if he he's takes all the southern states there. and, you know, does well in the Midwest too, which closer on who to judge. But yeah, he'll probably pick up delegates. Mm-hmm. You, you have to know in these primaries, it's not like a winner takes all system. Uh, it could, uh, well, just it could one, be much. One yeah. comment I have is the thing about Super Tuesday, which immediately follows South Carolina is there aren't very many states that have primaries in the Midwest on Super Tuesday. A lot of them are in the South, a few in the Northeast, and there's California. It's California, I know, yeah. But not really many in the Midwest. So that's the problem for Buttigieg and Klobuchar, is that there aren't enough Midwestern primaries early on to give them momentum to carry them uh, throughout the campaign. Yeah, and to our listeners who are mostly youthful, I would assume, and who haven't been through many primary processes before, uh, the main dates in a primary are next Monday, which is the Iowa caucus. That's like the, you know, the first big test. And then you have a few other early states like South Carolina, Nevada, and New Hampshire, which kind of will set a bit of the tone. And then the big, big day that really you have a good idea of who's going to win the nomination is in about a month. And that's called Super Tuesday, where 12 or something like that states vote and it makes the biggest dent. Yeah. And then from there on, you have other uh, cauc- caucuses and elections, okay. but... From Super oh, Tuesday, you kind of know yeah. what you're going to do. Henry, yeah. could, I, could I make uh, just yeah. an interesting observation I found? You this can. is the first Iowa caucus in, uh, since the 90s in which it's held after the Super Bowl, which is very interesting because we all know how the Super oh. Bowl has so many advertisements. I feel like the Super Bowl uh, next Sunday, interesting you're point, going actually. to see very, very many ads for candidates Probably the lion's share for like Tom Steyer. Yeah, Tom Steyer wins Iowa. Maybe, <laughs> maybe like with all the money they have left, they could like uh, smaller candidates in terms of you know, war chests like Buttigieg, Biden, Sanders, Warren. They could try to sneak in some last minute TV spots to give them a little juice. Yeah. No, I mean like I've been like watching like hockey games and like every other ad is like Mike Bloomberg knows how to get it Bloomberg done. Is, like is I mean like yeah. so much money it's ridiculous. He's Yeah, and we'll talk about him later. Let's talk about the other candidate with a fighting chance in Iowa. Um he was in the poll, he was at the front runner for uh, for a bit last month. Uh Pete Buttigieg. Uh Jack, mm. what do you think Buttigieg can win Iowa or is it kind of past him at this point? <sighs> I, I don't have strong hopes on Buttigieg winning Iowa. I think if someone upsets Bernie, it's going to be Biden. And uh, honestly, Buttigieg's general uh, general chances for the nomination, I think, have gone down a little bit. I don't know. I don't necessarily think his support is as much as it was before. But the one thing Buttigieg has been good at is getting the money. And if he can keep that up, there's still a chance for him. No, he has grassroots volunteers, lots of donors, you know, working around the clock in Iowa, knocking on doors, making phone calls. So, I mean, that's he's he he's governor, he's governor, he's mayor in Indiana, and that's pretty close to Iowa. He has pop- popularity in that region of the United States. Um, Griffin, do you think Buttigieg, what's Buttigieg's strategy to winning in Iowa? Can he do it? Uh, well, he actually has got one important endorsement from Iowa in Dave Loebsack, who is a congressman from the Iowa City area and southeastern Iowa. I feel that could be his strength, um, where there are a lot of younger folks and uh, little industrial cities. I guess he could try to 
pull it out in those areas, rack up the margins, and try to hang on. But I would say at this point in the race, I wouldn't give Buttigieg the edge in Iowa. I think he can come in second. He could upset Biden and come in second, but for now, I don't think he's going to win Iowa. Yeah, it's just about for him picking up delegates and winning the races that matter. You know, just like not being completely shut out of the delegates because he needs something like 1,200 to get the nomination. And I believe in Iowa, there's, there's a decent amount of delegates, like, you know, up for grabs. So if Judge can just get a sizable amount, go to New Hampshire, get another sizable amount, and then slowly just build up those delegates, it can be a strong case for the nomination. Um, Jack, I know you're a big Klobuchar supporter. Uh, what do you think about her in this race and in Iowa? So, you know, states like Iowa are going to be where Klobuchar does well. And, you know, as you saw, she and uh, Warren got a dual endorsement from New York Times, which is pretty historic considering they never really do that. But I think that yeah, was a boost some for thoughts her. on that. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I think I think she has a chance at, at sneaking into maybe that top three position, which could it could what, what it could do mainly is, you know, I, I think Amy Klobuchar is a great candidate. And if I was picking a candidate just based on who I thought would do the best job as president, it would be Senator Klobuchar. But, you know, I've kind of positioned myself towards Biden because I'm not sure if Klobuchar generally, genuinely has a shot at the nomination. But if she gets top three in Iowa, voters like me who maybe like Klobuchar but don't know about her chances for the nomination, I think that could garner more support there. Even if she, like, pulls off an upset and wins Iowa, I don't even think that would be enough. Griffin, like, she needs a lot. I think it could be. You think, Griffin, what do you think about that? So in the unlikely scenario in which Amy Klobuchar wins Iowa in an upset, she would need New Hampshire next. She would have to perform strongly in New Hampshire. Uh, in fact, I, w- I would almost say that she needs to win New Hampshire as well because I don't see her doing well in South Carolina, nor do I see her doing well in Nevada. Uh, mainly because Tom Steyer is uh, blitzing his ad money on those two states in particular. So I feel a Klobuchar win in Iowa is unlikely, but if she does win Iowa, uh, she really needs to campaign hard in New Hampshire and try could, to get as high as possible. Yeah. It could be the most temperate uh, win of, a, of Iowa in the history of a primary, you know, like, I expected not to be her. I expected it to be Bernie Sanders, in my opinion. But she's in with a shout due to her strength in that region, I would say. Um, any other specific candidates you'd like to talk about? Any of you about Iowa? Yeah. I mean, not in Iowa, but I do think we should touch on the new billionaires in the race, uh, Bloomberg and, and Steyer. And Henry, I know you're a newfound uh supporter Bloomberg. Well, so. I mean, I jump around candidates a lot, but... Yeah, we know. I mean, well, no. I mean, so, Gillibrand <laughs> is who I would still be supporting today had she right. stayed in the race. Um, <laughs> Kamala is who I would still be supporting oh. if Gillibrand had dropped out and she had stayed in the race. And then, after Kamala, I mean, like, you look at the field right now, I was with Bernie for a week, and then his appeal kind of lessened on me. But if you look at, like, Michael Bloomberg has... He's not as moderate as Biden or Klobuchar. Sure, he was once a registered Republican, but his views have completely gravitated toward the left side of the spectrum. Uh, he's great on gun control. He's great on abortion. He's great on 
uh, on healthcare. I like his plans. He has a lot of good uh, infrastructure to get things done. And I think that he's electable. He has a lot of money, which could be a good thing against another uh, person with a lot of money, Donald Trump, who's going to break fundraising records, I believe. So I think that Bloomberg wouldn't be a bad candidate. I don't know if I like his strategy, which is uh, don't debate. Don't do, don't do any town halls. Um, skip the four early states and go to Super Tuesday. If, he, if this works for him and he banks on Super Tuesday and he wins the nomination that way, which is unlikely, um, but that could be a great strategy. Um, Griffin, is Bloomberg screwing this all up, in your opinion? Um, he is definitely tampering with the Democratic nominee, like who can win. In fact, yeah. he's actually uh, overtaken Buttigieg in fourth place. Wow, really? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at, like... Um, if you go to Wikipedia and look at the polling average of all the candidates, you'll see that Bloomberg is like overtaking Buttigieg. Um, now the thing is, he he is not on the ballot in the first four states. He it was only on the ballot in the Super Tuesday states, and after that, so Michael Bloomberg, he, I don't really think he's going to win the nomination, especially considering progressives may not like him, uh, especially considering how wealthy he is. In fact, he is one of the wealthiest men in the world, not just America, yeah. but in the world. He has a net worth that is probably about 15, 16 times that what Trump has. And Trump is a multi-billionaire. So. Well, that's and what that's he the says. Because... Little, uh, by a little bit. By a little bit. Uh, like in this current uh, Democratic climate with almost every candidate on the stage, well, nearly every candidate, mostly the progressive ones attacking billionaires, attacking the wealthy, you know, maybe it works for someone like Tom Steyer, who's definitely more progressive than Bloomberg, but Bloomberg for many voters might embody that type of wealthy billionaire in with the elites. And I don't know if that'll work. for him. He's self-made though. He's worked for every dollar he's got. But, it's not like Donald Trump. who's you know, inherited a crazy amount of money. And that's what he's touching on in his ads. But I still, I, I just thing. don't know if he fits this race. He doesn't think fit the could... persona of the people the DNC wants to nominate, but maybe it's time to rethink that. You know, if someone like I... Sanders goes in there with uh, astronomically lower funding than Donald Trump, we could see him being blown away. So it's not, I'm glad that Bloomberg has decided to support uh, whoever the nominee is and, you know, raise funds for them too and pretend mm-hmm. as though he was the nominee that really in that good. race. That is good. And I think I'm really glad that could, that a big benefactor like Bloomberg has done that. But it's interesting. And one other point about Bloomberg is his media company, which is called Bloomberg. You know, it's one of the biggest media companies in the world. He's instructed them very strictly just to, like, not report on his candidacy in any slanted way whatsoever. Like, not pretend he has any affiliation with them at all. So I think that that's good that he's, you know, keeping that media bias in. We know that Donald Trump would not do the same thing in that scenario. But, um... I think he's run an admirable campaign so far. You're, you're, you know, like, like we were saying, you're, you're kind of on the Bloomberg train a bit. Explain to me why you would go for Bloomberg over someone like Joe Biden, who has more support on, uh, with minorities, who's more likely, arguably, to perform in the Rust Belt and Midwest states with moderates. Why would you go with? Uh, because I believe that Michael Bloomberg will get 
more action done on the gun crisis he will he's donated a ton of money to the climate crisis and he will absolutely go crazy in office on that and i think that i have doubts about biden's health care plans which we should get into later because that's a long conversation but um i i ideologically identify with bloomberg more than biden um i mean griffin do you are there any other uh, little candidate uh, topics you want to mention uh, I know Yang made the New Hampshire. Oh, he's debate. still in the race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, but also like on the topic, we're part of, of the Yang media. I blackout. forgot about it. Yeah, yeah. But on the topic of Bloomberg, just like a final note, I don't know if Bloomberg's past can really be left behind him because he was the Republican mayor in New York City, and many criticized him for uh, making frisk. New York well, stop and frisk, as well as I believe during his mayorship. Uh, you saw an increase in gentrification of certain neighborhoods and made New yeah. York City really expensive, um, very difficult for poor and minority communities. Um, so I think that his past is haunting him, which makes it very, very difficult. Yeah, but I, do, I just do think that if we want to be Donald Trump, we can't rule out any option at the moment because it's an it's a completely unconventional race and you have to think unconventionally as well. Um, I also do want to make a point maybe broader than the candidates, just about the Iowa caucus in general. I think that the fact that they use a caucus system in 2020 is kind of wrong and outdated. For those of you who don't know, a caucus is basically like a big public debate. In, any, in every voting station, there will be people on each side, you know, of each candidate convincing people to go over to other, you know, sides. So it's not like a traditional voting machine, vote for your candidate and you're done. It's basically hours of standing around, you know, um, Griffin, can you explain better to our listeners um, the caucus? I, listeners? I, I think you've, you've done a good explanation. Yeah. Opinion. It's mostly just like, you know, trying to convince people to support your candidate. And it's for people who are time pressed for people who have kids who need stuff and, you know, have jobs. I don't think it's ideal. To, it also um, is uh, very negatively affects smaller polling candidates. Oftentimes they get like very shut out of that. Kind of washed away. And like, like that, that's why Martin O'Malley did so poorly in Iowa that he had to drop out in 2016. My, my brother was a Martin O'Malley supporter. That's kind of <laughs> funny. <laughs> um, I think you wrote him a letter. <laughs> but yeah, anyways, um, no, a caucus system for like, we talk about how people don't get time off from work to vote, have to stand in lines for a while for people to be disenfranchised this way and this to have to like engage in an hour-long debate about which candidate is best instead of a five-minute voting process it's just completely inappropriate really i mean this benefits the old retired people who have 20 hours a day where they want and not the people whose votes really or you could argue you know those young people who maybe don't have as jobs who don't who are in college? No, the people working jobs needing the candidates to you can, support I mean, them. You can argue very that busy. It helps a lot of different demographics. Yeah, but I don't think it helps all the right ones, and it's not to covering you. all the bases that way. Yeah, to me, I mean, the people who are struggling, who are working multiple jobs, who don't have spare minutes, who don't have two hours to go debate in a town hall. I, I like who, who those votes really. Matter. I generally like yeah. the system of, a, of the Iowa caucus, but I would argue that they should make it a state holiday. If it isn't, I yeah. don't think it already is one. Yeah, yeah. because you know, mm-hmm. off from jobs, that's yeah. probably appropriate. And um, well, Henry, it's interesting. Some of the yeah. good news is uh, states are beginning to abandon caucuses, though. Kansas and Minnesota, they both had caucuses back in 2016. They're using primaries yeah. now, so it it could that's take good. a while, but. 
I feel like the caucus system will slowly begin to wither away and be replaced by I'm primaries. I'm glad that it's modernizing. Yeah. yeah. Though it kind of would be fun to, like, be in a caucus, you know? <laughs> I think I'd enjoy mm-hmm. that. But, um, yeah, there's also people are saying that Iowa shouldn't go first, that why don't, why, don't we have, why don't we have every state just vote on the same night? Like, does anyone know? Logistical yeah. reasons, I would yeah, assume. I guess. Also, that but, like, means candidates have yeah. to campaign in 50 different states, which is kind of not realistic. Well, it's like well I'm pretty sure they do but yeah. it at a time so that candidates go to that state and try exactly. to know the issues. Like in exactly. Iowa, like farming issues. I believe in New Hampshire, uh, the opioid crisis is hitting really hard. So and right. they can personally appeal to voters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly that. But it is definitely a true statement to say that whoever wins Iowa has kind of a disproportionately much better chance. Yes to do well and that is an advantage whether you like it or not and that's what all these candidates will be doing whether it's biden sanders warren klobuchar buta judge or bloomberg no not bloomberg or steyer or yang they're all going to be trying to win this key battleground state and it's going to have a lot to say in who we choose to be donald trump or try to be donald trump uh before we move on uh who do, who's going to win Iowa, in your opinion uh, bernie sanders and there may be some candidates that drop out too like delaney I guess, well, he's yeah, still yeah, he's it. still running. I could see someone though, like uh, I could although see I could see a yeah, a big candidate like really Klobuchar, fails, maybe even Mayor Pete could drop out after Iowa. Yep, yep. So. Just say game over. Uh, Jack, who's going to win Iowa? This may be a little bit of hopeful thinking, but I think I got to go for my main man, Joe Biden. Okay. I thought you were going to say my main man, Amy Klobuchar, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, Biden, Biden, that'd be big for him. I think it's going to be Bernie Sanders, too. I mean, I think in 2016, Bernie came so, so close in Iowa. It wasn't decided by coin toss in a few districts, I think. Like, that's yeah, how my, close it got. Yeah, it was yeah, very, so very close. He hasn't lost popularity from there on. I think Bernie gets this done and becomes a co-front runner or in pole position to take this nominee. So um, let's move on to our second topic of the day, and that is um, impeachment. Uh, we missed a lot on our, you know, almost month-long break from this podcast during midterms. Uh, we saw Donald Trump get, in, get officially impeached. We saw the articles of impeachment move toward the Senate, which signified the official start of the trial. And we've seen the start of the trial. This last week, it's been... Um, it's been the trial. We've seen senators you know, sit around watching as uh, the misdemeanors of Donald Trump have been discussed. Uh, Griffin, what do you think so far about this trial? Have you been paying any attention? Um, really? I believe with this trial, well, one thing that I do know is it's diverting presidential candidates from campaigning in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, especially those on the Judiciary Committee. Um, and also, another thing is, I just... Despite this Senate trial and all that I've been hearing, I strongly doubt that the Senate will vote to remove Donald Trump. Even with no, some yeah. moderate Republicans, I just don't see it happening. But, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's not really been the main story. I think we are taking that as a foregone conclusion by now. Yeah. But what has been the story is that um, the rules of the trial in which the Republicans have demanded um no new witnesses in fact no witnesses at all um no new evidence and really nothing but someone talking over a powerpoint of trump and this is just ridiculous in my opinion what kind of legal system doesn't allow new evidence to be considered when it props up i mean jack what's your opinion on this yeah i I think they're 
obviously there should be witnesses. I think there should be uh, new evidence here. And I think there's a chance that we will see some witnesses. I, I honestly think that's a possibility. I don't think we'll, I, have, I definitely don't think we'll get uh, the removal of Trump, but I think there's a good chance that we see some witnesses. It honestly, though, angers me a lot what Mitch McConnell has been doing to uh, to really just tamper and mess with this Senate trial, which has been a process. It happened in Bill Clinton's. It was a full-on trial. You know, all the TVs returned to it. We saw lots of big testimonies from people close to the president. Well, we can't even get a new shred of evidence that pops up. That won't even be considered. It's re- it's honestly crazy, and it makes me well, mad every Mitch day. Well, it's Mitch McConnell. It's Mitch McConnell, though. Yeah, but, like, he's just going back on all legal precedents here and it's i don't i don't know he's just angered me in every way i can't wait to beat him in 2020 but yeah (laughs) but um so i mean what do you think griffin do you think that someone like john bolton or mick mulvaney could testify in the end or is it just like no hope Mm, no hope really i would say no hope i mean it's sad that we're at this point where that's the case uh, what do you think the future of impeachment looks like, Griffin? Um, well, pretty much the future of impeachment, in my opinion, is no matter really what happens, who gets interviewed, um, and with all the evidence in, I just think that the Senate votes to uh, quit Trump. Quit? Yeah, Senate votes to quit, not to remove Trump from office, and, well, we're back to where we were before. Yep, and for all the buzz and the hype that surrounded impeachment, it's... It's definitely uh, it's definitely fizzling out, and it's too uh, bad. But what do you expect? From I, these I think I might have to disagree yeah, with that yeah, a little what do you bit, think? Henry. Yeah, I think obviously we should see witnesses as part of the judicial process, but I don't think that it's uh, not had the attention it deserves necessarily. I mean, there's been really a lot of moments during this impeachment trial so far that I think a lot of Americans witnessed, a lot of Americans thought of, and. There has been nearly constant TV coverage of it. Uh, I think Adam Schiff has done a great job and Hakeem Jeffries, the whole team, has done a great job in laying out the evidence. And I think the appeal to American uh, American citizens has been generally pretty good. And I I I would say that, I mean, think about the last two weeks. Impeachment has dominated almost every single headline. So I think the attention is still firmly on impeachment. I think that the, the watershed moments you're talking about came before he was even impeached. The Gordon Sondland well, testimony, Pelosi uh, announcing that they'd pursue it, the opening arguments from Adam Schiff, those were all right. Those well, but I mean, even yeah. just look at the, the closing statement from Schiff this weekend, which was trending on YouTube at number three, I think, this weekend. I, yeah. Twitter has been constantly filled with that. I think there's a lot of uh, attention being put on impeachment, as there should be. I think there definitely should be witnesses, but I still think a lot of attention is being paid to this. Mm-hmm. But like the the trial hasn't been Watergate Part Two, or it hasn't even been. It was you know, never going to be Watergate Part Two, to be fair. Yeah, but it's, it's even it's, still it's just that's interesting not damning. The way that it's been going, I mean, we see Republican senators talking about what crossword puzzle they're going to do during the hearings, what book they're going to be reading. Like some of them are just like not even like showing up at all, and it's honestly it's sad that that's what our democracy has become where senators and the people who are supposed to be jurors are not even paying attention, not even engaging, like not even promising to be fair jurors. I mean, I I agree that the impartiality is a huge thing that I think is, is really bad that they're pledging not even to consider the facts, but I, I would, you know, it's not just Republican senators who are necessarily 
uh, attuned to the trial. I mean, we've seen Democratic senators as well, maybe not paying attention, getting out for yeah. a while. Diane Feinstein, for instance. And I think part of that is, I mean, you think about it, it is a grueling process for basically nearly the whole day. You're in the Senate chambers listening to people. And I think that's what it should be. And everyone should take it seriously. But I, I do think we should cut some senators some slack here. Yeah. I mean, Griffin, is this what politics is going to look like? You know, the end of impartiality, the end of bipartisanship and just not even being fair jurors and trial like this? I think we might have reached that stage in society. I feel like we have actually reached the stage in which there's really not really no bipartisanship. We we find a lack of bipartisanship in Washington. It wasn't like it was before, essentially. The sad truth. Someone like Lindsey Graham, there are tapes of him in 2002 or something like that saying, you know, if a Republican president did something bad, I hope that I would tell him that he should be removed. And I know I would. And like you look at the parallel, what, like 16 years later, and it's just ridiculous to see that all these Republicans have been hypocrites and they've all just contributed to the damning nature of this trial and how it's gone so far. Um yeah, so I don't know how much more subject matter there yeah, is. Yeah, so well, I I think we should we should touch on uh, yeah the possibility of witnesses and some of the uh, senators that will uh, decide that you know there's certainly I think there honestly is a chance that we will see some witnesses uh, in this impeachment trial if certain things go right and certain senators, namely uh, you know Collins, Manchin, people like them, if they decide to do the right thing. The only thing, part of the, you know, we see Senator Collins, for instance, you know, condemn remarks by Trump, condemn the process of impeachment. You know, she's always very offended with some of the things that go on, but it'll really, we'll see what she truly believes when that vote eventually comes. And if it's not a we'll see. I think we both. We can both say, like, oh, we'll see. But I think we both know which way she's going to vote. Like, it's not... She voted for Brett Kavanaugh. And, like, she she voted for all these Trump things. I, I, will, I will give her credit for not voting the Affordable Care Act. But overall, Susan Collins is a disappointment to me. And I think that we should try to, you know, support and fund her Democratic challenger in 2020 and vote her out. Because she's given us a lot of false hope that there's sense. She's the most unpopular senator in America now. Over Mitch McConnell. Yeah, she's overtaken Mitch. Uh, Do you think we can flip that seat? Uh, Can Democrats win it? Uh, I think, yeah, they they could. Yeah, I would hope that the challenger, Sarah Gideon, I believe, she's not getting as much national coverage. I expect it to boost up, but if if she can become like a better O'Rourke of 2020, then that could be a really, really good place to flip. But like your point about vulnerable senators, Jack, Martha McSally, who has a really tough reelection battle in Arizona on the line in 2020, and she's been trying to keep her cool, but she just like burst out at a reporter calling the reporter a liberal hack and just mm-hmm. saying like, all of you, you guys like are like stupid. And that's not going to help them in 2020. Is that just, is this the, fir- this is the first time that Republicans have been under pressure? And do you think that will impact how... Martha McSally, you know, runs for re-election 2020? Yeah, I, I think the impeachment trial will generally affect Republican senators in their election quest more than President Trump. Uh, I think, Do you think it'll affect them more than, like, Democratic House members? Yeah, I, I would, because the House impeachment was, everyone knew 
what was going to happen really yeah. uh, once it, the process started. And arguably it's the same for the Senate. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you were talking about, you know, impartiality earlier. And I think that's a very important thing to think about, but it's also on the democratic side too. Right. I mean, Joe Manchin the other day, you know, uh, talked about after Trump's uh, lawyers gave their test, uh, gave their arguments you know, he said there were some good arguments in there, but, you know, they underscore why we need witnesses. And he pledged to remain impartial, all of which I think were reasonable comments. We should all be impartial. Some yeah. people immediately jumped on him, you know, on social I don't media. Know some how of good, the more uh, members. Pat Scipio, Cipollone, I think that's his name, the head impeachment defender. I don't know how good his arguments are. He's basically saying that impeachment is against the Constitution, which yeah. it's kind of not. <laughs> but, um... I don't know how I feel about that. I feel like Joe Manchin tries really hard sometimes to be like in the middle. And this but is kind of one of those state. things. Yeah, I mean, and Democrats he has to have that. to accept that every single senator isn't going to be as progressive as the left wing of the party. No, but if I we think tried that... to run a progressive senator in his state, we would lose easily. Exactly. But I do think that every Democrat should be united on this issue of impeachment, because if you don't believe but, that Donald Trump did something wrong, then you are ignorant of the facts. Hold, hold on here, though. Cause yeah. You know, Manchin pledged right, to be right. impartial, which is what we're saying <laughs> yeah. is the most important thing. If he doesn't immediately call for Trump's removal, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's an honorable thing. I don't no, think that's standing in, in the middle. I think that's saying I'm going to listen to the facts and then make a decision. That's what you remember it was a while ago. I we went to that Kirsten Gillibrand town hall and she said, if, tr- if evidence is brought against Trump, I will look at that evidence, acknowledge it and decide whether that leads to impeachment. And I think that's. I think that the evidence does lead to impeachment, and I think that's the conclusion that most senators are drawing. I mean, Griffin, do you think the Democrats are being not impartial on this matter? Uh, I would say that they aren't being really impartial, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that, I mean, a lot of Democrats do want to impeach Trump. We saw Rashida Tlaib uh, saying, impeach that expletive uh, before any, um, any impeachment things had a uh, occurred you know before any evidence was brought against trump and a lot of democrats are jumping at the opportunity but the facts are and the facts that all three of us can interpret are that donald trump engaged in impeachable conduct so i think it's fair to say he should be impeached based off that but yeah it's interesting and we'll see how that does affect those republican senators because you know like um the kavanaugh votes were an example of something where democratic senators would have to face the voters after their their vote and this is i guess the republican equivalent of it it's it's quite interesting so um i think we're done with iowa and impeachment uh, any last points about anything in the news for anyone to make uh not particularly good oh the new york times endorsed uh, warren and klobuchar yeah yeah uh, griffin what do you think about that um I guess if you're a New York Times reader, that could influence your opinion, but not everybody reads the New York Times. So it, it, failing has New York Times. A, it, it has a small impact, in my opinion, but uh, a, a net positive for Klobuchar and Warren. It was kind of funny the way they announced it. It was like this long movie where like they like played music and like talked and like it was like it was pretty much like an episode of The Apprentice. It was pretty dramatic, kind of overly weird. And why do they have to do two candidates? Why can't they have just done, like, Klobuchar or Warren? Pick one. Like, that's not going to have as widespread of an effect as they're looking for if it's two candidates. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't really understand why they decided to do that. Uh, never really done that before. And that's for a reason, I think. Your endorsement carries much less, uh, 
it, it has much less of an impact when you uh, endorse two possible front runners. So, no, I mean, if the New York Times endorsed Amy Klobuchar and just Amy Klobuchar, that's that would so huge. huge. And it would have been even big for Warren, too. It's just, you know, that's a marquee endorsement. But now both of them, it's just like, okay, great, thanks. I don't know. It's kind of watered down at that point. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so obviously the big story of today being Iowa. We will be back very soon. Uh, maybe we can even have uh, an episode right after uh, whoever wins. It'll probably be very late. I don't know how long those caucuses go. I think we... it'll be the next morning, like... At so maybe not the then. Yeah. It's a school night, so we'll probably yeah. have an episode out that Tuesday night, I assume. Um, good yeah, news, we'll though. One yeah, after. Nevada caucus and South Carolina primaries are on Saturdays. So so oh, wait, wow, wait, what's the really? what's the schedule? So uh, Iowa so is Monday. Iowa right? is Monday. New Hampshire is the next Tuesday. Um, so eight days after. Yeah, okay. Nevada yeah. is on a Saturday over February break, and huh. South Carolina is on a Saturday. After at the end february break yeah okay. the last day of february, on the 29th of february so we'll try and we'll try to like intertwine episodes in between those primaries that's gonna be a, it's gonna be a fun month coming up but definitely oh yeah but yeah it's it's going to be so great this is probably one of the biggest stories we've covered on our podcast um mm-hmm. well impeachment was big too but uh-huh. yeah so um please to all our listeners uh rate and review our podcast um we get reviews sometimes we really like when we get reviews it, it's kind of exciting. So definitely like write something if you like us, write something if you have criticisms of us, and we will take that and uh we will appreciate it. So yeah, click the stars, um, you know, scroll down, write a review. It would be really great and it helps people like who are searching on our podcast find us easier. Uh thank you so much for listening. Uh we will have a new podcast out. Thank you so much to our listener who asked the question about uh Warren and Sanders feud. Uh, hopefully we did a good job answering that for you mm-hmm. and um overall uh have a good one thanks guys yeah. for coming on here it was fun yep. yeah my pleasure see you guys next week after see Iowa. Ya.